All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, talking to you from the borough of Queens, New York City, on March 8th, 2022. Before I talk more about today's show, I want to encourage you to attend the Metals Investor Forum in person at the Georgia Hotel in downtown Vancouver has, uh, starts this Thursday, March 10th and 11th. If you can't make the show in person, I understand that it will be available uh, on the Internet. So all you have to do is to go to my website at jtaylormedia.com and click the Metals Investor Forum near the top at the right hand, uh, upper right-hand corner uh, on the homepage and provide some information. I think they want your email and your name and, and maybe your address as well. Simply uh, check off the box that you're going to do it. Uh, you're going to do it virtually if you can't make it in person, and uh, and then you'll be able to see this event live. And it does start at 10 o'clock on Thursday morning and um, and Friday morning as well. Uh, and I will be speaking at three o'clock. Actually, I'll be speaking yes at three o'clock Pacific time. That's six o'clock Eastern time. The title of my talk will be "Can the Fed Outrun Debt Deflation Without Destroying the Dollar." The companies that I have invited are Klondike Gold, Snowline Gold Corp, Goliath Resources Limited, and El Oro Resources. And I want to thank each of you for listening to the show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. also want to invite you to keep your questions, comments coming to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. We do, of course, want to thank our sponsors for making the show economically viable. Sponsors for today's show, Irving Resources, Noble Resources, Eloro Resources, Hand and Metals, Firefox Gold, Timberline Resources, Lion One Metals, and SK Mining. Title of today's show is, How Does Ukraine Fit Into the Global Jigsaw? Alistair McLeod, Eric Coffin, and Chen Lin are with me for today's show. The title of this show was based on Alastair's February 24th article titled, How Does the Ukraine Fit Into the Global Jigsaw? The article was written about the time that Russia just began invading the Ukraine. Since then, it appears that the NATO countries have been more unified than anticipated, and the Ukrainian army and citizens are putting up a very courageous fight against the invaders that may be countering attempts by Mr. Putin to drive a wedge between America and the non-Anglo-Saxon EU. But can this unity last when the economic repercussions of sanctions and broken supply chains start to cause serious hardships for all of Europe? In his January 24th article, Alistair suggested that the U.S. was actually trying to suck Russia into an untenable occupation that Putin would not fall for. 
Well, in fact, contrary to Alistair's views on February 24th and those of most people, including the Ukrainian president himself, President Putin not only invaded the Ukraine, but failing to successfully hit military targets, he has begun a bloody carpet bombing campaign in major cities. With Putin getting sucked into this conflict, how does that change Alistair's views of how the Ukraine fits into the uh, global geopolitical puzzle? And what will it mean for global markets and the economies of the NATO countries? Those and many more questions are what we'll try to get answers from Alistair on. He'll be with me in the second half of today's show. Eric Coffin will join me in the second segment uh, to talk about the March 10th and 11th Metals Investor Forum and hopefully give us an idea or two, an investment idea or two that he is uh, excited about. But right now, I'm excited to tell you that Chen Lin is with me. Uh, thanks for joining me, Chen. It's, uh, it's good to have you, especially at a time like this when there's so much going on. Uh, give me your thoughts about the about the events in the Ukraine and, and maybe anything else you might want to talk about that you think might be impacted by all that's going on now. I invest in Ukrainian company, right? so I have I know people there, and I have friends who uh, has a, uh, in New Jersey who who has a parenting living in Kiev and mm-hmm. terrible. Try to um, I was try to help. I don't think I can take the company. The Cup Energy very graciously was able to secure. A train tickets for them, but they were not, mm-hmm. not able to because the train was so too packed. You know, yes. And uh-huh. very hard for handicapped people to get on there. Sure. But anyway, but uh, it's terrible. I mean, from there I learned how difficult life is. Oh, jeez. I mean, I, I, I hope this war will be uh, over soon. I really a prayer to the yeah. courageous Ukraine people there. Absolutely. So, uh, and uh, I want to, just want to comment, we mentioned a little bit, uh, that with Ukraine impact to the world commodity. Uh, mm-hmm. We noticed the nickel triple this week, right, triple. The mm-hmm. LME actually stopped trading nickel mm-hmm. because 10% of worldwide production is in, from Russia. And then those Russian nickel cannot be delivered as, you know, LME nickel, you know, code and code. So that's created a huge short squeeze. Uh, mm-hmm. So I look around and I think, wow, you know, Russia also create, produce 40% palladium and 10% platinum. So for my traders, I, I added to my, you know, already existing platinum and palladium futures and ETF. Right? So if there's a squeeze, I don't know, there will be, um, but if there's a squeeze, that will be a very, very good, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you know profitable trade. But if not, even not, look, today's announcement from Spanish Steelwater is that the South African Union, the military union, is going to strike against their gold operation. Actually, Spanish oh. Steelwater is down due to that. But what, what that means is they probably will strike against the platinum mines later this uh-huh. year, not just Spanish Steelwater, but for all the South African platinum, because it, the contract due for negotiation this year. So think mm-hmm. about it. Between... Russia and South Africa, that's almost 80, 90% of worldwide PGM oh. production. Okay, oh. so, so I think the 2002, you know, 2022, this year, it belongs to PGM. So we get just so many incidents waiting to happen because the, the most are coming from Russia and South Africa. Right? So mm-hmm. anyway, I'm very bullish on those. And um, I, 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 you know, I'm looking forward, you know, to... to so, you know, hope, let's see what's going to happen. I think if it happens, it will be very quickly in the next couple of weeks. 
I hope and so. And also, last week, and I said in my newsletter, I was buying Kinross, which was hit very hard by the Russia. Oh, yes, yes. Kinross has like 15, 20% old production from Russia. They were yes. hit very hard by the fire in, in African Mill, and then their purchase of a great beer, which is you know, they use some of the shares. So they hit three times. So as of last week, Kinroy's valuation is less than half of others, like Goldfield, uh-huh. not even Barry Newman. So they, it's so cheap, it uh, probably can be a good takeover target. So uh, we start buying last week, and so far so good. Today it's far, Kinroy's uh, far outperformed GDX, which is down today. It's a big reversal today. You know, uh, so um, I think it's like a shooting star pattern, right? The gold goes up, 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 and then there's some talk like Ukraine may have peace. I don't know. I really don't know. I, I, don't, I doubt until Russia achieves its objective, Ukraine can get, get you know, they, they, I, I do not know. We'll see. So, yeah. and then the just market was just too oversold, you know, short covering, and then boom, we go, and then gold went down. Uh, we have, uh, I think, so far, gold is holding on quite well. So um, I, I think we're in, within the bull market of gold, and then clearly gold is gaining against all the other currencies, including mm-hmm. Bitcoin, which has been, people talk about this more digital gold, but it's not, right? So mm-hmm. gold is the gold. Gold is yeah. real gold. So I'm very glad that uh, it, it's there. So I think gold has much more to run here. Yeah, it's certainly, you know, the dollar has been stronger as well, along with gold. So the whole idea that gold and the dollar, are, you know, move in opposite directions, not always true. Uh, but your point is well taken. It's uh, gold has done even better against other currencies. Then. Uh, just with a couple of minutes left, Chen, um, you want to mention anything about a couple of your biotech favorites? Right, yeah, we can mention the Triceda. Unfortunately, uh-huh. they have 15% of their trial in Ukraine. So their, their uh, trial results are going to be delayed by a couple of months, according to my calculation. Their statement said they're going to delay by, uh, they delay it by a quarter. Okay, so that's uh, understandable because 15%, those you cannot count. You have to use other places uh-huh. to, you know, to trigger the, the outcome, right? So mm-hmm. the, the trial will be 15% slower from now on until mm-hmm. they finish, which is the Q3. So, and Amorous had just have another presentation yesterday. It was very, very good. I hope uh, people will listen to the replay. The, finally, the management is uh, trying to downplay, uh, downplay the expectation. They're trying to lower expectation but beat it. And mm-hmm. then they are mentioning their, one of their brand, JVM, is growing at 1,000% a year. So it looks unbelievable. And then they also have a lot of technology for high oil price, mm-hmm. which... They, they used to produce, now it's coming back because all these are energy companies coming, asking them to create those synthetic oils oh. because oil price is so high. So, wow. so okay. they, they have a lot of opportunities out there. So not just what they're doing, but other, open up other opportunities at this high oil price. But those are not pricing this current stock price. So it's... Oh, they not said, at all. Okay, no. In the management, they said in, in the year, they see four brands, each brand worth at least one billion. Their market mm. habit is a little over a billion, you know what I'm saying? So it, it's just so cheap, <laughs> it's not funny. So if you have a long-term vision, I, I suggest that you're going to hold on to this. So, Chan, let me get this straight. So synthetic oils, possibly, that because of the high uh, natural oil price, 
There may be some right. possibility the, of synthetic oils. Synthetic diesel, synthetic, you know, those kind of things. Uh, uh-huh. So uh, uh, synthetic uh, uh, energy product, okay, they basically... They used to create it, and then all your crash, and then they, they don't do it anymore. Now, the Shell, all these, he, they mentioned Shell, all these big oil companies are looking to do it again at this oil price. Mm-hmm. And the farmers, they said, okay, we don't want to put any capital. If you want it, we can more than happy to, you know. He didn't say exactly word, but it just gave license your technology. We want to make extra money out of you, and we can give, enable you, right? So... Uh, those kind of so they are not going to spend any more any more capital on those. Mm-hmm. Well, of course, uh, one thing about Amherst is it's not only a research and development company; it is also a manufacturing. It is a manufacturing facilities now too, right? It's yeah. the only one that's sort of the leading edge synthetic chemistry that also is a manufacturing, at least on scale. Right, they are selling directly yeah. to com- consumer. Uh, they're doing extremely well in the United States. They're expanding to Europe. They want to expand to China. They seem to be doing. You know, there are a lot of technologies coming. Okay, so um, so for example, they, for example, the the rubber, right? The rubber, Michelin have a very very strong rubber, and uh, but the synthetic rubber is not as strong. But they can mm-hmm. enable that. That's All another right. angle they can do that. So All there's right, so many things. It's almost endless. Yeah, it is. It is really an exciting story, no doubt about it. And I guess that uh, that uh, that conference call is on their website, Chen. People can go to yeah, Amherst's they, website. They, they, they have a, this week. They should have a replay. Yes. Okay. All right. Great. All right. Well, we have to leave it go with that, Chen. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes with us, and we'll look to do it again sometime soon. Well, folks, don't go away. We do have to go to break now. But Eric Coffin is coming back. He'll be with us uh, at, when we come back, I should say. He's going to talk about the Metals Investor Forum, I expect, and, and maybe a, an exciting stock pick or two from Eric. So don't go away. We'll be right back. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQX is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, Funding in place and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really happy to have with me once again Eric Coffin. He is uh, the editor of HRA, Hard Rock Analyst. It's a family of newsletter publications, and you can learn more about his service and uh, sign up for his letter by going to hraadvisory.com, hraadvisory.com. Thanks for joining me, Eric. Thanks for having me again, Jay. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to have you, and I'm looking forward to seeing you in the flesh here in a couple of days or the Metals Investor Forum. Um, now, I wonder, maybe just because you, you really have a lot of good insights about the uh, about the money markets, the the uh, well, the markets in general, but uh, what are your thoughts real quickly? Here we had already the Fed seemed to be trapped in a corner, sort of in a, in a trap. It, you know, if it, it couldn't raise rates very much or the thing or the markets would tank and it could not not raise rates uh, because of the inflation problem. So now you add a war in the mix and, and just like to get your quick thoughts spend a minute or two perhaps and, and tell us what your thoughts are. Uh, you know if, if anything the feds <laughs> the fed is more trapped now i mean uh, i mean i think we all know that you know food and energy are are the really the largest components of the mm-hmm. of the inflation reading and obviously with what's happened with the oil price and what's happened with wheat and some other grain prices uh i don't see how and i, I was a guy that was sort of Inflation's at least half transitory. A few months ago, uh-huh. uh, kind of out the window now. I mean, uh-huh. I, I I'll be surprised if inflation doesn't tick up at least a couple more percent. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm hoping food prices don't do what they do internationally because if they do, it's going to be really bad in mm-hmm. some of the developing countries. And and we could oh, yeah. see a repeat of the Arab Spring. But locally, uh-huh. the Fed, you know, the Fed's stuck because the the simple truth is if inflation ticks up a couple more points. That just means the average consumer, you know, in the states, and it's the same in Canada, will be will be falling farther and farther behind because they're not getting mm-hmm. wage increases to match inflation. The mm-hmm. Fed, the Fed has to try to fix that, but it, to me, it feels more and more like the simple increase, massive increase in volatility and uncertainty, the odds of the North American economy rolling over later this year, are, you know, they're getting higher by the day. Uh-huh. And as we all know, when you've got a central bank tightening, and I do think they're still going to tighten next week, and it'll be 25 mm-hmm. points. I think they're going to try to tighten more because they're trying to close that gap, trying to, you know, trying to push inflation over the top. But the problem is, when you're a central bank tightening into a decelerating economy, mm-hmm. the odds of a policy mistake basically go up by an order of magnitude. Uh-huh. And by policy mistake, I mean the one rate too many that. Rolls mm-hmm. the economy over and starts a recession. Mm-hmm. I think I, you know, I think we've got to figure that the odds of a recession later this year are now at least fifty-fifty, and mm-hmm. I don't think they were anywhere near that two weeks ago. Oh, yeah, very interesting. As well, certainly you'll be talking more about these issues uh, when you give your talk, and I guess that's uh, that's going to be on Thursday, and you're talking right. I think around right before I am. I think it's the block before me. Uh, yeah. What is it I'm about? Just about? Right after lunch. Yeah, right after lunch, Thursday yeah. and Friday. And one thing I, I would tell people is if you go to Metal Investor, MetalsInvestorForum.com, we, we haven't been advertising the fact, but because 
it was a bit up in the air as to just how much opening would be done by now with the COVID and everything. If you go, and even if you're not going to Vancouver this week, if you go and register for MIF, once you've, once you've registered, it will ask you whether you want to register in person or online. So we will actually be live streaming this one. We just haven't advertised the fact we're going to be doing that. So yeah. even if you're out of town, you can still watch, you can still watch Jay and all his glory <laughs> wherever you happen to be sitting. Yeah, right. My glory. Well, as I don't know as anybody's glory, your glory, maybe. Eric, I would much rather be sitting back there listening to you than being upstage talking, that's for sure. But in any event, um, just a, uh, I mean, Chen was talking about nickel a little bit ago. I right. mean, and, and and some of those markets. What are your thoughts? I mean, this this war, who knows how this is going to shake out? I mean, David Stockman was talking on my show the other day about uh, last week. In fact, he was talking about how a lot of goods from China go by rail over uh, through Russia, through the Ukraine, into into Europe, and and none of that is going there. That everybody's trying to get it on ships or on air airplanes. And the cost of shipping is going up dramatically. I mean, everything is just a mess, it seems. But yeah. what are your thoughts? It's just, you, you know, the the supply chain issues that look like they're starting to slack and yeah. have just become a complete shit show again. Yeah. Uh, and that's probably not going to end anytime soon. I mean, even, even if there's a resolution, whatever that would be, in the next week or two in Ukraine, and I, I seriously doubt that there would be, the only... The only resolution I could see near term would, unfortunately, would be Russia bombing it into oblivion. But, you know, the Rubicon is being crossed now for Russia. I mean, they are now a pariah state. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, you know, they're like Venezuela squared, and that doesn't go away very fast. So yes. this is this is going to have a lot of ramifications. Some of the output, I mean, they're, they're nickel output. Norilsk, at least at right now, is not actually sanctioned. But what you are seeing is there's so much pressure on governments and on companies from consumers and buyers of the Western companies' products saying, don't you dare source anything in Russia, mm-hmm. that I think you're going to see a drop-off in supply, even if they're not sanctioned, they're being sort of sell shanks. And so, yeah, do mm-hmm. I think nickel can stay at 40 bucks? Well, no, duh. That was a, that was a one-off short squeeze. But yeah. is it going to be 15 or 20? Like, that, that wouldn't surprise me. Uh-huh. I mean, that's, that's one of the reasons, like, I... I don't follow a lot of nickel deals. I follow I follow FPX, and they're they're going to be presenting in my block on Thursday. Mm-hmm. And what I like about it, I've always liked FPX. My you know my brother Dave, who you were good friends with, yes. he, he loved this deal. Just it's such a weird, it's this weird nickel iron alloy. And what they do is they mine and produce a concentrate of the alloy, and and it actually has very high nickel content. It's much higher nickel content than your standard sulfide. But it's, they're also working on a process to make nickel sulfate directly, and that's that's basically an input that goes directly into battery manufacturers. Ah. The, the market doesn't really understand how good the people look at the grades of this, and it freaks them out. They kind of go like 0.13 percent, like what the hell? But when you look at how they how they can process it and how they can make these products, the the actual margins on this are very good and it's a very 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 large deposit uh, i think the market's just starting to figure that one out so i like that one a lot just where is that where is the project eric where is the it's project in, it's in northern bc uh-huh um, good. okay it's basically about 0.13 but they've got a billion tons um mm-hmm. basically proven and probable and there's another there's another area right next to the one that's seen most of the drilling that's probably the same size or bigger so they probably got a couple billion tons of this stuff. 
And mm-hmm. like I said, those grades sound ridiculous, but really all they have to do with this stuff is a grind and magnetic separation and, and, and float it. And there you go. You have 65% nickel concentrate, which nobody else can produce. I mean, so there, uh, yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. And then these guys are not, you know, they're not giving anybody any illusions. They spent a lot of time, you know, improving the the logistics, improving the economics, um, that there's a way to probably make the carbon footprint on this mine very small. And Mm -hmm. there's no pretense from these guys. They're like, look, we're, you know, we're waiting for company X to come and take us. Okay. That's what this is, right? It's not, they don't really want to build it. Oh, okay. All right. I I see about uh, $214 million market cap. Does that sound right? About 83 cents, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, it's had, a, right. it's had a pretty big move in the last couple of days, not surprisingly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like some other things. Well, what uh, uh, Visla Silver, uh, yeah. Pan Global Visa, Res- Resources, and yeah. Yeah, Visa, I, I mean, I love Visa. It's a great story. Uh, they just put out a 105 million ounce uh, silver equivalent, and the silver equivalent was virtually all silver and gold. You know, high grade resource, high 300 gram per ton stuff. All, all of the wireframes that, that that resource is on, they're all wide open. There's tons of veins they haven't even touched yet. They're about to start flying an airborne survey, an EM survey that'll probably give them another 20 or 30 targets. They own it 100% outright, outright and that includes a 500-ton-a-day mill. All that stuff is permitted. I, it's, I, I own a fair amount of the stock, and it's a very mm-hmm. high – for me, it's a very high – um, confidence holding. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. I, I'll be shocked if the stock doesn't double in the next 12 months. It's one of those. And plus, they're drilling 120,000 meters with 13 rigs, so there's just going to be news, news, news. Wow, constantly. wow. Oh, good. Sounds sounds very exciting. Uh, I guess we got another minute or two yet. What about Pan Global? That's one you've liked, you've talked Pan, about before. Yeah, uh, that's another one. That, that's another very high-conviction one for me. Great, great management team. They've already probably got, I don't know, 25, 30 million tons. I mean, I'm, I'm completely pulling that number around me, my behind, to be honest, at, at La Romana. But La Romana is the first gravity target that they tested. And they're in the Iberian pyrite belt in Spain. And in that belt, gravity is an extremely effective tool. And the reason why that's important is they just finished getting additional property to the to the east and north, granted, about two months ago. That project, that property has another 11 gravity targets on it. They just mm. reported it a hole from one of those this morning that was like, I don't know, it was like nine meters of a percent and a half copper. But mm. they have, you know, all of those targets have a really good shot at being something like La Romana, which they've been drilling for the last 18 months. They've got lots of cash. Uh, I don't know how many meters. I mean, they said this morning they're going to do 20,000 meters on these new targets, but I would expect that to just get expanded and expanded and, and probably the rig count get expanded. If, if they're having success on a given target, they probably just leave the rig there and get another one for the next target. So it's another one where there's just going to be news flow. Yeah, I see 74 as as, yeah, cents. I see. 74 yeah. cents. It's uh, P, uh, PGZ. Yeah. Uh, 150 million market cap, more or less. So, yeah. yeah. And then and then another one uh, that I follow as well, thanks to you, is Sun Summit Minerals. You want to talk about that one? 42 cents, uh, 28 million market cap, a real low market cap. It's a real market cap. I mean, Buck has got a lot of gold on it. I mean, they've pulled a lot of long gold intercepts. It's been difficult for them to figure out how to chase this just because it's a very, very big hydrothermal system. There's multiple pulses. So they, the last program they did was basically grid drilling. And even if you ask Bob Willis, he'd tell you, you know, 
promotionally, that probably wasn't the best thing to do, but we just we had to do it. We needed to get uh-huh. a bunch of sections so we could start figuring out how the dots connect and mm-hmm. and be able to uh, be able to actually vector this stuff. And they they've got a much better handle now. Um, I'm hoping to do a I'm hoping to do a call with Bob in about a week. He's waiting to get a bunch of graphics from the from the consultants in terms of okay this this is what the grid drilling did for us. But the the bottom line is they're closing a six million dollar placement right about now. That's enough for them to drill another you know thirty thousand meters probably. They've got a rig going right now, and what they're doing right now is is chasing some of the higher grade stuff that they didn't chase with the grid drilling. The grid drilling was not intended to follow up on the high-grade stuff. It right. was intended to just let them try to figure out the system. So the stuff they're drilling now, I, I think, is much higher probability of being kind of, you know, a boomer drill hole here and there that gets people excited. Uh, plus, I just, I think Buck is going to, I think when the when the day comes, and I don't know when it's going to be, but they do a resource, I think people are going to be surprised how many ounces are on this project. This is a mm-hmm. big, big, big mineralized system. It's very mm-hmm. big. Very large and open pitable on surface, huh? I think. Yeah, I mean they're they're you know you don't always get the sexy holes when you're going for bulk tonnage, but Bob Bob isn't a geo; he's a mining engineer, and Bob yeah. and I are quite close friends. And Bob just says, "Look, you know, this is I, I know people want sexy high grade, but that's not yeah. where you build the ounces." And he said, "I'm a mining engineer; I wouldn't be drilling this thing if I didn't think it was going to work." Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, there's some extra, uh, really exciting stories right there, Eric, and a lot more, I'm sure, from other newsletter writers as well. Uh, yeah, there's a really, really good lineup, really good lineup. A good, good lineup and a lot, of, uh, a lot of newsletter writers there as well. So uh, thank you very much for spending a few minutes with us, and I'll look forward to seeing you up there in, uh, in beautiful British Columbia. Thank you, and Eric. J- and uh, Jay Taylor fans, yeah. I'll try not to get him too hungover this time when we go out for dinner. Uh, no problem. No, no. It, it, in my old age, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> I will see. I, I, we'll I, see. I, I'm, I'm finding it's, it's, it's kind of nice to be awake, you know, and and alive, and I don't know. But you could, I when you're know. a lot younger, you, when you're a lot younger, you could do things you can't do when you're 75, Eric. So, you, you'll find out. Overrated, you'll, Jay. You'll, you'll find out in 20 years from now, or so. You'll find yeah, out. Yeah, right. No, I, I got a pretty good idea already. Don't worry. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks so much, Eric, okay. for being with us. All right, folks. Well, uh, we do have to go to break, but Alistair McLeod will be with us when we return to talk about how the Ukraine fits into our rapidly changing geopolitical landscape. We'll be right back with Alistair McLeod. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. 
If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and as always, I'm really pleased to welcome Alistair McLeod to, to the show once again. Thanks for joining us, Alistair. That's my pleasure, Jay. And, uh, it, you know, it's really uh, good to have you, and especially, always good to have you, but especially when markets are in turmoil like this and your, your insights are always so welcome and, and so useful. Uh, I should tell people that every Thursday you put out an essay that's very apropos to the, whatever's going on in the markets and uh, it's at uh, you can go to goldmoney.com and I guess it's a I forget which sub page it is but it's goldmoney.com and what is it it's specifically well, the yeah hits research and then and then insights insights um, and that's, that's it yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Very, yeah very good anyway uh, it, it's excellent and it's, it's one of those things I can't do without I feel it's uh, so helpful but I'd like to talk to you about your um, uh, I guess it was a February 24th article, how Ukraine fits into the global jigsaw. And then a little bit later ask you, um, uh, you know, with things not turning out the way any of us were expecting pretty much, how that alters um, your view of things. But um, your article, how Ukraine fits into the global jigsaw, you it was written on the eve of the Russian invasion, I believe, or, or just about the time that they were starting to go into the Ukraine. Uh, then I would... You know, as I say, we'd like to ask you also. Then the, the other article was when normal when normality is exposed as as a Ponzi. Uh, but in any event, uh, in in your February twenty fourth article, you wrote, and I quote: "Ukraine is part of a far bigger geopolitical picture. Russia and China want U.S. hegemonic uh, influence in the Eurasian continent. Uh, they want U.S. hegemony." Uh, marginalized in that in that part of the world, and following defeats for U.S. foreign policy in Syria and Afghanistan, and following Brexit, Putin is driving a wedge between America and the non-Anglo-Saxon EU. Also, in that same article, you wrote, and I quote: "Being keenly aware that its dominant role in NATO is under threat, America has been trying to escalate the Ukraine crisis to suck Russia into an untenable occupation." Putin won't fall for it, end of quote. Well, obviously, your view uh, and the view of most people was not was not correct. Putin has not only hit, I guess he's hit military installations, but not all that successfully. So he's taken on sort of a mass shelling of, of civilian areas, killing lots of people um, and maiming a lot of them. Why do you think uh, Putin has conducted such a bloody war uh, as he has, and do you think uh, that his targeting of civilians was will prove to have been a big mistake? Well, I think so. I think things sort of rather got out of control. I mean, normally mm-hmm. he's he's got a very measured approach to mm-hmm. geopolitical uh, issues, and um, really by sort of standing back and letting America make all the mistakes. Uh, mm-hmm. So far, he's actually done very well. Um, I say this not in admiration of him at all, because um, he is a ruthless um, uh, leader and uh, has been successful by being ruthless. I mean, 
once um, uh, America um, had messed up uh, Syria, um, mm-hmm. you know, which which was the bridge for Hezbollah uh, to receive yeah. arms and support from Iran. Um, once that was all messed up um, and the Americans and their, um, uh, if you like, um, uh, vested interests in mm-hmm. Syria were um, beginning to, to lose out and on the run, mm-hmm. then Russia came in and uh, really blasted um, uh, Aleppo. I mean, you see pictures of the streets in Aleppo after uh, sort of the bombing campaign. Um, It was entirely ruthless. Um, I think I think what's happened with with uh, Ukraine is that he made the mistake of thinking he could repeat that because uh, the Americans are on the run. I mean, they they um, uh, pulled out of Afghanistan and not only that, but um, there was apparently an attempted coup d'etat backed by the CIA uh, in in Azerbaijan. And, um, you know, they very, very quickly sent in the troops and sorted that one out. So, mm-hmm. um you know, it, as far as Putin is concerned, I think America is on the run. His, mm-hmm. his his real interest is, as you said earlier, to basically remove um, or diminish American mm-hmm. interest uh, in uh, Western Europe. And mm-hmm. uh, there are two elements of this. There is the um, uh, control through NATO that America um, uh, exercises on um, uh, military policy, if you like, for the Western Europe uh, alliance. And also, um, the other thing he wanted was for uh, NATO to move back from being so close to Russia. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, I, these are perfectly understandable. Um, but uh, I think the hubris really sort of got a bit away with him. And this is mm-hmm. where... Um, all us armchair commentators got it wrong. He then, he then uh, walked into uh, first of all, uh, you know, the Donbass um, uh, and uh, around the sort of eastern end, uh, mm-hmm. recognizing them. And the next thing we know, uh, his troops were mobilized. Uh, and mm-hmm. um, but we knew before this happened that it was a stupid thing to do because the only way you could invade. Um, uh, eastern Ukraine is in the is in a sharp uh, winter when uh, the ground is frozen. Otherwise, mm-hmm. your tanks just get bogged down, and that mm-hmm. basically is what has happened because mm-hmm. he's been restricted to, um, you know, sort of uh, main tarred roads. Um, and uh, any time they've sort of gone off, as it were, um, the whole thing has just sort of fallen apart. And of course, um, he's had to contend with what is, in essence, is a guerrilla war. So um, there's the first really um, uh, uh, big uh, geopolitical mistake that Putin has made. And I think we should note that we have now put him into a corner. And when you put a bear into a corner, watch mm-hmm. out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's scary. And of course, they, they did mention... Uh, that they were, you know, getting ready with their nuclear weapons if we uh, if we do anything untoward from their point of view. Uh, a lot has been made, uh, Alistair, at least in our uh, propaganda campaign here, that NATO has been united like never before. Uh, how, how, what are your thoughts about that? Well, that's right. I mean, this is one of the um, uh, losses that that, uh, Putin has inflicted upon himself. Before then, uh, NATO was uh, very much divided, you know, with the Europeans um, 
quite happy to let the Americans take the lead and spend all the money. And you know, they sit back and say, well, you know, we can't do this, we can't do that. Um, but by invading the Ukraine and creating a refugee crisis with, and I'm, I'm sorry to put it like this, but, you know, white people, people mm. like us in Western Europe, um, uh, on the receiving end of this, you know, there's, it, it has had the effect of completely uniting NATO. And, um, you know, so big, big mistake. But as I say, um, you know, the, the reason I would be worried about this is that the real war always has been a financial war. And to that, we can now add a commodity war. And there are so many um, uh, illusions about Russia in, in the West. I mean, one is that the economy is weak. It's not weak, yes, actually. Yes. You know, they don't depend on uh, imports from the West. So cutting them off, um, all that achieves is it um, puts up exchange controls instead of the Central Bank of Russia having to do it. You know, um, and uh, uh, it won't be very long before the ruble steadies. Um, but there are aspects of this which um, I think are blowing back badly. Um, the commodity side, I mean, particularly when it comes to energy, um, I would not be surprised to see Putin now really begin to uh, turn the screws on uh, natural gas supplies and oil supplies into Western Europe. Uh, so we're going to see prices, I think, continue. Energy prices continue to rise. And, um, of course, with all the money printing that's been going on uh, in recent years uh, and undoubtedly the response from uh, Western nations that they will continue to print money to pay for higher prices, these prices are just going to go up and up and up. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine, uh, you know, we're talking about tightening here, uh, 25 basis points, and uh, supposedly that's the Fed is going to go through with that uh, this month sometime. And um, I, I, But, you know, we're, we're already having a weakening economy here, and it's just hard to see how far they can take that. I mean, is there any way the Fed can go, but when things really start breaking down, and they could break down, any time, I would think, and I, I know that you uh, keep track of, of the situation. The uh, European banks, you know, are in some some difficulty, perhaps, if I read you right. Uh, it's just hard to see how they won't open the money spigots again and just blast, you know, trillions more dollars into the system, right? Won't, well, can't you pretty much count on that? Yeah, it, no, you're right. It, it is pretty much inevitable. Um, and uh, when it comes to interest rates, I mean, there was a a general consensus that uh, the next hike would actually be 50 basis points. And that's been rode back to expectations 25. of 25 basis points. So we have this situation where, um, in a sense, I think there's, there, there is relief at the Fed that, uh, you know, there are signs that the economy actually is slowing. So uh, they feel that they won't need to push up interest rates. But this is this is just completely wrong because they don't understand what interest rates are. Interest rates mm -hmm. are not the price of money, which is what the Keynesians think. Yes, interest yes. rates reflect the depreciation, the expected depreciation of the purchasing power of the currency. And I mean, quite simply, and I know we've discussed this on your yeah. show before, um, with inflation running at over 7% on the CPI 
And with independent analysts saying it's probably double that, and I'm referring to John Williams at Shadow Stats, who I know you have on your show sometimes, mm-hmm. yeah. um, there is no doubt about it. We have got record negative yields. <laughs> this cannot continue for long. The Fed can do what it likes trying to sort of say, well, you know, we're not going to raise interest rates because the outlook is dismal. But the fact of the matter is that markets will do it for them. And that is the big danger that we face. The the basis of valuation uh, for uh, bonds and uh, as as a consequence of that, the valuation basis for equities, that is going to um, start turning very negative. And we've begun to see uh, an erosion of the bull market. I mean, you could argue that. Oh, yeah. It is already over. But, um, you know, it's the interest rate outlook. The markets will take control of interest rates. They will go considerably higher. And there is nothing the Fed or the Bank of England or the ECB or the Bank of Japan can do about it. Yeah. And as you point out, that is having an impact on the balance sheets of a lot of different central banks uh, and that uh, the central banks themselves uh, may become, <laughs> may, may becoming insolvent. Uh, yeah, I mean the problem the central banks have is that in you know in the bad old days before quantitative easing, if I put it that way, their balance sheets were relatively clean, but now of course um, they've turned into huge great um, investment trusts holding uh, predominantly bonds. The Bank of Japan mm-hmm. also got equities, and so has the um, the Swiss National Bank. But um, so w- when you get rising yields, uh, guess what? The prices go down, and mm-hmm. um, central banks suddenly are in negative equity. In other words, their liabilities exceed their assets, so they need refinancing and. Uh, you know how embarrassing is that well all they can do then um since the only thing they know to do is to create more money out of thin air more units of currency or whatever right well except the problem there is that as they do that they more, more but more debt of the currencies even more i mean they've really got themselves into you know an enormous stew over this mm-hmm. and uh, i'm actually writing the next article which will be published on on thursday um mm-hmm. I explain how they will try and resolve this. But the big difference, I mean, these things have happened before. The Bank of England has got itself into difficulties uh, back in uh, 1697. um, And that was resolved by basically a recapitalization provided by the uh, Treasury and financed out of credit, believe it or not. Um, They can do the same again. But the difference is that back then we had what was called specie. In other words, we were on a silver standard. And the problem that the bank had was it had a run. Its notes were being cashed in for silver. Um, The silver standard continued. Uh, The bank was recapitalized to manage it. Uh, We now have a situation where there is is, is pure fiat fiat currency. So goodness knows what happens uh, when these banks recapitalize themselves. You make a point that, uh, you know, these sanctions are really not going to do much uh, longer term. As you say, Russia doesn't import that much from us. That uh, We depend tremendously on, on oil and energy. Europe does especially. Um, and so, you know, you, you, you point that Russia can turn to China, uh, and they are. And I think already with these restrictions that are being placed on sanctions and so forth that they have – Already, some arrangement for credit cards from some from the Chinese, if I'm not wrong. Um, this is going to draw China and Russia closer together. I think there's any no doubt about that, is there? And 
And how can those two countries work together? Because they have been working increasingly together. I think you point out in your article that Russia can buy, I mean, China can buy Russia's oil, although they don't have the capacity to send as much to China as they can to, to Europe, right? Yeah. But talk to us a little bit about how Russia and China can work together. And then I'd like you also to talk a little bit about uh, Russia's economy and how, you know, most Americans, as you said, we think that Russia's weak. But actually, if you look at their balance sheet of their central bank compared to our 130% of debt to GDP, there's something like 20%, I think you pointed out. Yeah. They have a 13% flat tax. My goodness, would I love to have a 13% flat tax. <laughs> exactly. They have, they have limited regulations, you say. Right? Yeah. It's yeah, likely regulated flat tax of thirteen percent and um, government debt to GDP of only twenty percent. I mean, you know, this is this this is a libertarian's dream, actually. Yeah. Um, the problem, I, I I think, is that it's not really recorded properly when you look at things like GDP and so uh -huh. on. And if you yeah. look at GDP, I mean, that basically is a reflection of the amount of fiat currency being pushed into the economy. Right. So. Um, you know, commentators who don't understand this think that, um, uh, you know, the figures coming out of Russia reflect um, a stagnant economy. It doesn't at all because, you know, the money is, put it this way, the money is being used better there than it is in, in uh, the Western equivalents. Mm -hmm. um, the Chinese relationship, um, if I can just go back to that a little bit, mm -hmm. I think this was best summed up um, by the official news agent, uh, which news agency, which which um, is, is obviously a government feed, uh, they stated that um, they're not allies of Russia, which basically means that they won't um, support Russia in the, um, let's say, in the United Nations resolutions and things like that. They will just abstain. But they are partners of Russia, which basically means that they will work together with Russia when it comes to commercial interests, mm -hmm. when it comes to um, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, uh, when it comes to things like, um, you know, the, the, the uh, you know, sort of bank, uh, inter, you know, interbank messages, you know, the sort of the equivalent of SWIFT. All these things, China will work with Russia. And importantly, China will work with Russia with respect to gold. So, um, you know, I, I really think that it's virtually impossible for uh, the West to uh, run a tight ship in terms of sanctions because, uh, you know, China is an enormous economy through which these things can leak. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to oil, I mean, it's quite simple. It will take time to get... Uh, the volumes diverted from places like Europe round to China because they don't have the pipe network that they mm -hmm. have going into Western Europe. And not only that, but, um, you know, if it goes round by sea, it's got to go all the way around the Cape of Good Hope because they won't let the <laughs> tankers through. So, it's, you know, so we're talking about a trip of about, you know, 35 days, I guess, from the Baltic getting round there. So, um, you know, the, the, there is a delay on this. But, you know, do Russia care? I mean, what's happened is that they don't really need to sell the oil because they've got a, a fundamentally sound economy. And um, the oil that they do sell, it's just getting a higher and higher price. And it's in their interest to push the prices up as much as possible. You know, they've now got control <laughs> over uh, energy prices. Um, being the largest exporter of energy in the world. And also they've got control over various key commodities. I mean, we saw, for example, the price of nickel spicing is yes. you know, spiking up hugely on a short squeeze. 
Um, and uh, Palladium was another one. I mean, that just absolutely rocketed up the other day. And so this is something I think it could well affect silver. I think silver more than gold, actually. Mm -hmm. um, and this is going to be a very, very interesting uh, time for a number of commodities where there isn't much stock around. I mean, that, and metals have been in backwardation for months, which basically means that there is a shortage for immediate delivery. Right. Uh, and um, yeah, no, I mean, you know, what a time for the West to turn around and tell Russia, we don't want any of your commodities. So, you know, <laughs> go away. I mean, for goodness sake, Take it's a hike. <laughs> stupid thing we could do. But anyway, yeah. that's politics. Well, I think, uh, yeah, it's politics. It's what, you know, what gets them voted, uh, what gets them votes, I guess, is, and, uh, you know. Uh, but, but you talked a little bit about how this could uh, sort of lead to a ruble backed by gold. Could you could you just talk about that a little bit with about three minutes left? Yeah, sure. I mean, this is this is a, a little bit sort of jumping the gun a bit. But sure. um, just, just note that um, because we have turned around and said to Russia, right, you know, you, you're your currency reserves are worthless with the exception of the obviously their holdings in chinese yuan but they've got a lot of euros in particular they've got less dollars um so you know the russian central bank is sitting there on something like um uh, half a billion dollars equivalent of foreign currency which is absolutely useless what's the message from that the message from that is don't hold foreign currencies if you're going to have anything in your reserves, make it gold. And I think that the easiest way for the, the Russian Central Bank to stabilize its uh, currency, if it needs to do so, is actually add to its gold position and uh, somehow get perhaps into the market a view that um, the ruble is backed by gold. They may have to indeed have to do that. Um, and it, I mean, if I was doing it, what I would do is I would ramp up the price of gold in Western markets through through China and other Asian markets. Uh, and uh, I would get it to a level where I would want to fix the ruble to it and have um, a coin exchange um, uh, facility, if you like, so that individuals could submit their rubles to the central bank in return for gold coin. Um, that is, you know, probably something that will be a little bit down the road. But... The more we get the feeling that this sort of thing is likely to happen, the more it's going to erode confidence in fiat currencies which have no backing whatsoever. And guess what? Uh, the, the American uh, Fed and uh, the U.S. Treasury in particular have spent the last 50 years from when Nixon took, us, took the dollar off the last tiny vestige, the fig leaf of a gold standard. They've been uh, damning gold and saying it's not money. The dollar is. And uh, consequently, uh, nobody is prepared emotionally, mentally or any understanding of what true money is right. prepared for this at all. So the effect, I think, actually could be really quite catastrophic for the West. Well, do you, we've seen uh, I mean, gold was up some seventy two dollars around lunchtime, 12 o'clock today, noon. Uh, it got taken down quite a bit, but it's still up. I don't know. I haven't seen it in the last since we started one on the show, but $30, $40 or so. Do you well, think it, uh, it, these it, these it, current it, events are having anything to do with that? Uh, oh, indeed. I mean, uh, absolutely. It's currently trading at uh, 2052. So uh -huh. this is, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's on the way back up. And um, I don't think there's any stock in the market. I mean, there really isn't. And I think that's particularly the case of silver. 
I mean, if you look at the way silver has performed, it really feels like a real squeeze on the establishment. And um, I think I would I would hesitate to say that we could have another sort of nickel, <laughs> you know, nickel spike on silver. But oh. um, it's got the makings of, you know, the same sort of dynamics behind <laughs> driving the price. There is no silver available, really. Yeah, and it is used in industry too. And uh, by the green, uh, for the green, uh, the green deals, you know, the people that want to go green, they need yeah. silver and copper and all these metals. And uh, well, anyway, we'll have to leave it go at that, Alistair. We are out of time. I want to thank you so much for your insights. Always, always so valuable. And uh, yeah, we'll just uh, I, hang on to your gold. I guess that's the message. And and uh, I, I think and, so. <laughs> yeah, those anyway. of us who yeah. Thanks very much for having me on. You're welcome. Thanks for being with us. All right, folks, that is it for this week. Next week, Kevin Duffy of the Coffee Can Portfolio Newsletter will be with me, and Michael Oliver, as well as Quentin Henning, will join me uh, to talk about an update on the evolving world-class silver tin deposit in Bolivia uh, that is owned by El Oro, one of the sponsors of this show. should be a great show, so I hope you'll join me. Until then, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Firefox Gold is exploring in Finland in the midst of an exciting new gold rush. Firefox successfully drilled high-grade and visible gold in 2021 and is now active at four prospective projects with plans to drill continuously through the first half of 2022. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, are driving the company to discovery, and the stage is set for Firefox to identify multiple new gold deposits. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX and on the OTCQB at FFOXF. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates.